Our second Sunday, uh, summer series, we are talking about prayer, and last Sunday we asked the question, why pray? And in case you weren't here, or maybe you don't remember, we went through Dr. Luke, who records more of Jesus praying than any of the other Gospels, and we looked at several times when Jesus was praying, and why he prayed, and what was the situation that provoked him to prayer. Uh, And we ask the question, why pray? And the most basic answer is we pray because Jesus prayed. (laughs) We follow his his example. Uh, I I would say if God with skin on needed to pray, then you and I, prone to wander, weak, puny uh, folks who who are uh, pretty pretty weary and and, uh, struggling at times, if, if Jesus needed to pray, track with me, We need to pray. If Jesus found it a priority to pray, then we too need to follow his lead. Uh, Every time Jesus faced a different situation, what was his first response? He prayed. He was praying. Whatever came, if he had to make a decision, if things got tough, if things got challenging, his first reflex was to pray. We also saw last week that the point of prayer in Jesus was not just asking God for stuff. And sometimes we think, well, what does it mean to pray? Well, you just say, I need this, and I need that, and please make this happen, Jesus, and don't let that happen. And it's all about asking God for stuff. But that's not what Jesus modeled. Uh, Instead, Jesus models for us the purpose of prayer is relationship. The purpose of prayer is, is to draw us close to the Lord. And it's amazing when we're desperate and in need, when we cry out regularly to the Lord, our relationship with the Lord deepens. Prayer draws us close, and our our personal koinonia, our intimacy with the Lord, grows and gets stronger when we're praying. Today we're going to examine the verse that's on your bulletin cover. So if you locate your bulletin, you can look at it with me. Uh, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James 5, 16b. Say it with me. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Got your bulletin? Okay. Here we go. One more time. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's what we're going to examine this morning. What does that mean? What does it mean to be righteous? What what does it mean to have prayer that's powerful and effective? So we're going to look at that this morning. A couple questions. Uh, When you're about to play and uh, have the Star Spangled Banner played, that'll be played a lot this week. What, is, what does everybody do when the Star-Spangled Banner is played? You stand, okay? And when the bride's about to come down the aisle, what does everybody do? And when we are about to open up God's Word, because this is God's words, this is God's instruction manual for our lives, what, what do we do in honor of God's Word? Would you stand with me if you're able? If you're able, we're going to read this section of God's Word from James chapter 5. Would you join me? Here we go. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? 
Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Let's pray together. Lord, would you continue to teach us today about prayer? We asked you that last week as we closed. And we continue to ask that you'll teach us today from your book what prayer should be all about. Would you show us what it means to be righteous? Would you show us today what it means to pray in a manner that's powerful and effective? Lord, we recognize we live busy, scheduled, noisy lives and uh, prayer for most of us doesn't come easily or naturally. So would you corporately today teach us as your church? Teach us about how we should be praying and what that attitude should be. Lord, would you go beyond just corporately? Would you personally come and teach each and every one of us? We want to learn more. We want to become students of prayer. And finally, Lord, I want to pray for those who are here today who are right in the middle of a really hard and painful and challenging season of life. I'm glad that I, I can lift them up. You know exactly who they are today. And I'm praying that in their time of need, Lord, that you might rain down your grace and your mercy in their time of need. Give them faith and uh, help them, Lord, to courageously hold on to you the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, might they sense your presence and your power and your love and your goodness right where they're at today and even this week ahead. Lord, may grace and mercy continue to rain down on them. Meet us today, Lord. Meet us today in your church. We invite you. We uh, yield. We surrender. This is your church, and we're asking that you might come and speak and encourage and challenge and instruct your church today. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one strong voice, you can be seated. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Okay. So, so the obvious question then is this, what does it mean to be a righteous person? Uh, I suspect at any given time, most of us don't feel very righteous. Uh, so what does it mean to be a righteous person in God's eyes from his perspective? You ready? A righteous person, first of all, has to be a follower of Jesus. Okay? You are declared, we are declared righteous the moment we say yes by faith to Jesus and the cross. So righteousness begins 
when we enter into a relationship with Christ through what he did for us on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you are the sinless Lamb of God. Jesus, I believe you shed your blood on the cross for my sin problem. And Jesus, I believe you took my place on that cross. And Jesus, I believe that you died on that cross for me. And Jesus, I believe you took my place in the grave. And Jesus, I believe that early Sunday morning you didn't stay dead, right? I believe, Jesus, you literally bodily, physically arose from the dead for me, and I receive you as Savior and Lord. That's when we're declared righteous by God Almighty. It's through the work, the finished work of Jesus Christ. So that's when righteousness begins. The problem is we live in this fallen, sinful world, and we're prone to wander and slip and fall. And I wonder how many of you this past week at some point slipped and fell and you sinned in thought, word, or deed, and every hand should go up right now. Amen? <laughs> okay, so, so there we got the problem. Okay, I, I was declared righteous, but now I, I blew it. What do I got to do? Are you ready? You need to take out the garbage. That was my least favorite job growing up. I'd rather mow the lawn. I'd rather pick dandelions. I'd rather, but, but to take the garbage out, for some reason, the garbage cans were, anyway, you understand. You need to take the garbage out. And we've sinned. Everybody, yeah, I did this past week. Thought, word, deed. Uh, probably for most of us, uh, that, that happened every day. In some way, we missed the mark. We fell short. So what do you got to do to get back in a right relationship with Jesus? You take the garbage out. How do you do that? Lord, uh, make it clear. Make it obvious. Because sometimes we don't even recognize it. Sometimes we, we like to ignore it, and it might go away. Right, men? Just, just pretend it's not there, and it might. No, it's not going to go away. Your life will smell because of sin and smell bad. Okay? So, Lord, I'm going to run to you, and you point out what you call sin, and as you make it clear where I've sinned, thought, word, deed, I'm going to call it sin too. I'm going to ask that you might wash and cleanse and purify me. Listen closely. When we get clean, then we get back in right relationship with Jesus. It's not we got unsaved. We just are out of fellowship. We're not in right relationship and I get back into a right relationship, a righteous relationship with Christ, first of all, when I'm a follower of Jesus, and secondly, when I confess my sin, and now I'm back and I say, okay, Jesus, you take charge. <laughs> you be the king. You be the boss. You be the Lord. You, you come. I'm going to slide over to the passenger seat. You drive. You, you sit on the throne, and I drink deeply of springs of living water. That's when our relationship is righteous. Does that make sense? Tracking with me so far? So the righteous person is clean and fessed up and in right relationship with Jesus Christ. And when we pray, track with me now, and I'm a follower of Jesus, and I've invited Jesus to be my king, and I've confessed sin, when I pray, when I'm in that condition, look at James 5.16, last part. When I'm in that condition, suddenly our prayers become powerful 
and effective. When, when I'm in a right relationship with Jesus, and I've confessed sin, and I'm one of his kids, and now he's sitting on the throne, and I've drunk deeply from his spirit, and he's in charge, when I pray, when I'm in that condition, that type of praying, look at the bulletin cover, is powerful and effective. Powerful comes from the word energio. We get our English word energy from that Greek word. Okay, So that means that prayer goes from ordinary and rote and mechanical. Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Bless this food for us. Be blessed. Amen. Ordinary. <laughs> rote. Not really thinking, but I got to say the magic words or I might choke, right? So you got to say them. Uh, no, that, that's, just, that's just praying repetitiously. Jesus has a lot to say about that kind of praying in Matthew 5 and 6. Anyway, uh, I go from praying with ordinariness, rote, mechanical, doing my religious thing, to suddenly prayer becomes fantastic and energized and full of life. Go back to verse 16. It says that when you're in right relationship with Jesus and when I pray, suddenly my, my words, my prayers are powerful and they're effective, meaning they accomplish much. They accomplish God's plans. So it's not, I'm praying and I want you, God, to do what I want you to do. It's more like, I'm praying and, Lord, I'm right with you and I want to see your plan. Not my will be done, but thine will be done, Lord. I'm going to see your plan accomplished. When we get our lives in right relationship with Jesus, when we get clean, when I'm full of Jesus, our prayers get energized and they get effective at accomplishing what God wants accomplished. So, what's the rub, Ron? So, what's the problem? Okay. Well, here's the, the challenge. Here's the rub. Okay? I'm struggling and I'm having trouble and difficulty in some area of my life. I'm in right relationship with Jesus. I'm one of his kids. Um, I've gotten clean, known sin I've dealt with. I've invited him to take charge. And I'm seeking and I'm knocking and I'm asking the Lord, you work, please work powerfully and effectively in this area of my life. And here's the rub. And the Lord answers but he doesn't answer in the way that I wanted him to answer. You understand what I'm saying? Okay, Lord, please, I, I'm right with you, and, and I'm, I'm connected with you, and I'm filled with you, and, and I really, really want you to work and get me that promotion at work. <laughs> Lord, I, I really want my grandpa, who I love so much, I want him to get well. Lord, I really want to go to this university because it's always been my dream and, and Lord, I've got my application in. Please let them say yes to me. Lord, uh, I, I really want my child to be a doctor. Lord, I really want my child to be a missionary. Lord, I really want my child, you can fill in the blank, to be a success. And I'm asking you, would you, would you help my child to be what I've prayed for them to be my entire life? And when that honest, sincere prayer that we're praying, uh, when we're in right relationship with him, and I'm asking him, it doesn't turn out the way that I want it to turn out, is that prayer still powerful and effective? 
That's, that's the rub, isn't it? Because when it comes through just like you prayed, yes, I love that verse. <laughs> and, and when it doesn't turn out like you really want it to turn out, I don't think I get that verse. I don't think I understand it. I'm not even sure I like that verse anymore. James illustrates this point with the prophet Elijah. James 5, verse 17. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it, it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Verse 18. Again, Elijah prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. That's from 1 Kings chapter 17, 1 Kings chapter 18. I encourage you. This this be a good homework assignment. Go back and look at this, uh, this Old Testament prophet, Elijah. He's doing battle with wicked king Ahab and his wife, wicked queen. Anybody remember Ahab's wife? Jezze, yes. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel have led God's chosen people away from the Lord. They have use their power and influence to literally drag God's chosen people away from Jehovah God, and now they're joining Ahab and Jezebel in worshiping the false god Baal. The Lord punishes, obviously, Ahab and Jezebel, but he also punishes his chosen people, Israel, by withholding rain from the land for three and a half years. So... Crops dried up, famine takes hold in the land of Israel. So Elijah now, God's man, is called to challenge the prophets, the priests of Baal. Track with me. And all day long, they cry out. Elijah says, why don't you, why don't you cry out and say, uh, Baal, you come and do your thing and, and powerfully just burn up this sacrifice. And all day long, they're crying out to Baal. And they're cutting themselves, and they're yelling, and they're screaming, and all day long, and, and, and it's like Elijah's over here, and he's having fun with this. Um, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe your Baal isn't hearing. You need to, you need to yell louder. Uh, maybe he's in the bathroom. Uh, he's like having fun with this, and all day long, hours and hours and hours, they're crying out, and nothing happens. And Elijah steps up, prays a prayer, basically says, Jehovah, uh, you show them who you are. And boom, instantly, instantly, the sacrifice is burnt. And uh, God does some work with the prophets of Baal. They are no more. And in Elijah prays and rain falls on the land of Israel. Now here's the point. Look at James 5. Uh, Elijah prayed in faith. He was in right relationship and his answers to his prayer, I would argue this is powerful. 1 Kings 17 and 18. This is effective. It accomplished God's plan. Okay, Pastor Jeff, I get it. I get it. Elijah was in right relationship. And uh, he asked and he believed. And, and uh, literally God just knocked over prophets of Baal, and the rain came down after three and a half years. But you, you don't understand, I asked, and I believed, and I was in right relationship with the Lord, and my grandfather got dementia and died. 
And I did all of those things, and I was rejected from my dream university job. Uh, My child is a mess and making me crazy. And I didn't get the promotion. So here's the question that we're going to try to answer. How do we line up? Look at verse 16, last part. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective with answers from God that don't seem to line up with how I'm praying. How do you put those things together? How do you reconcile the two? We're going to go on a little tour of God's Word this morning. You okay? It won't be a three-hour tour. It'll be about uh, 20 minutes. Okay? Can you handle it? If you can do it, say yes. Okay. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Okay? What, what, what do we learn from other parts of God's Word when our prayers don't turn out right? At least from our perspective. Daniel 3, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, friends of Dan, refused to bow down to this massive idol of Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody else is bowing down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, um, I think we've read something about that in God's top ten list. Exodus chapter 20, verses 2 and 3 No, no, not supposed to have anything to do with other gods, any idols, not to bow down, not to worship. So, uh, yeah, uh, we don't think we're going to bow down to that idol. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. Uh, uh, But anyway, uh, I'm not going to bow down. Uh, And and Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't bow down, uh, I'm going to turn you into Babylonian french fries. And... Here's what they say, Daniel 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, Hey, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into blazing fire, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he'll deliver us from your majesty's hands. Verse 18, here's the attitude I want you to understand. But even if he doesn't, Even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. And now some of you are thinking, because you know the rest of the story, right? Well, that's easy for prayer because, look, the Lord protected them. The Lord even sent his son to go and stand with them. Can I just say something? Listen, when they said these words, they didn't know what was going to happen. We do. They didn't. But the attitude is marvelous. The the attitude here is powerful and effective. We're going to serve and obey the Lord our God. We will not bow down. We will not worship any other God. So whether you turn us into crispy critters or whether the Lord saves us, we're going to do it God's way. That's the attitude that's powerful and effective. Whether I get that promotion I've been praying for, and I've been praying sincerely for a long time or not, Lord, I'm going to please you with my life. Whether you answer in the way I want you to answer or not, I'm still going to do it your way, Lord. That's the attitude of prayer. Let's continue the tour. Go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 22, and uh, find verse 42. If you can, Rachel will put it up here on the wall. 
Uh, Jesus is in the garden. We looked at this a little bit last week in a different context. And he knows the cross is right around the corner. Like in just a few minutes, uh, Judas is going to lead the charge, Roman soldiers, and they're going to arrest him. Um, and he's going to give that famous kiss of betrayal. And here's what Jesus prays. Uh, verse 42, Father, if you're willing, and by the way, this is while he was praying, this is a prayer, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Question, was Jesus in a righteous relationship with the Father here? Yes or no? Obvious, yes, perfect relationship. And yet his request was denied. I uh, hear what you're saying, my son. Uh, I know you would like this cup of suffering. I, I know you'd like the cross and taking on the sins of humanity throughout all of history. If there's another way, I know you're asking, could you find another way? Um, and the answer was no, there's, there's no other way. Go to the next chapter, Luke chapter 23. Uh, Request denied, they came to the place called the skull. They crucified Jesus there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. So, so here's my question. Was this prayer of Jesus on the cross, about the cross, when he was in the garden, was that prayer powerful and effective? Even though he said, Father, if you can, uh, I'd really like if you could take this cup of suffering and the cross away from me, denied, even though the Father answered in a different way, was that prayer still powerful and effective? And how would you respond? I, I think that's the most powerful and effective prayer and event that's ever taken in all of history. But I want you to understand, it, it wasn't how Jesus prayed it to be the answer. It was different from what Jesus asked for. Father, if you're willing, and the answer was no, uh, you're going to have to go through this, but this is the most effective and powerful event in all of history. Lord, I really want you to heal my grandfather. I love him a lot. And the Lord says, child, your grandpa experienced the ultimate healing. You, you don't understand. I know you prayed for healing, but he is healed, and he's healed now in a way that he's never going to be healed here on earth. And now he's face to face with me, and your grandfather's doing better than he's ever done. Turn uh, quickly with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. There's this godly man full of grace and power, Acts 6-8, named Stephen. We're going to get to 7 in just a minute. And he's seized by the Jewish leaders because too many people are coming and choosing Jesus because of Stephen's life. He's so full of Jesus that they say, this guy has to be stopped. So they arrest him and they bring him before the Sanhedrin, the Congress of Ancient Israel. So they bring him, uh, and if you really want a really powerful sermon, you'd like to study a little bit, Acts chapter 7, verses 1 to 53. Wow, what a sermon by Stephen before the Jewish leaders. 
and he shares the gospel, and uh, then he brings their guilt in it, and you gave up the Christ and the Messiah, and now they can't handle it anymore. They're furious. They're angry. They gnash their teeth, it says. Ah! You ever feel that, that angry? Maybe some of you, that'd be good for you. Say it with me. Ah! That's what they're doing. They're so angry at Stephen. Ah! So, so they rush at him, and verse 59 of Acts chapter 7, they drag Stephen out of the city, and they start throwing bricks at his face and his chest and his legs and his arms. Okay, got the picture? So a brick hits him in, in the forehead. Uh, a brick hits him in the chest. Uh, a brick breaks his kneecap. Uh, they're firing bricks. Uh, Seventy of them at least. That's the number in the Sanhedrin. So they're firing bricks. And now look at verse 59. While they were stoning him, while he's bleeding, uh, Stephen prayed, Lord, Jesus, receive my spirit. Verse 60, then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he'd said this, he fell asleep. He died. Question, was that final prayer of Stephen, was it powerful and effective? You of you aren't sure, so I'll ask it again. Was that final prayer of Stephen, was it powerful? Was it effective? Okay. One of the most powerful prayers in history. But did Stephen get healed and live happily ever after? Did Stephen get healed and he walked away and they missed him with the stones and everything's wonderful, alakazam, and he lived happily ever after? Is that the way it turned out? died a brutal, horrible, agonizing death. But Lord, I didn't get accepted into that amazing university. They rejected me. Can you trust the Lord has a powerful and effective answer in mind, even if it's not what you asked for? Can you start saying, Lord, um, I'm going to ask. It's okay to ask. But is it possible that maybe you are God and I am not, and maybe you have something in mind that I'm not aware of? Is it possible that maybe your effective and powerful answer has nothing to do with what I was thinking? wasn't even on my radar. I, I wasn't even thinking that way. I got one more. You want to go real fast? We have to go fast if we do this one. Acts chapter 12, okay? Turn there quickly. King Herod arrests James, the apostle. Uh, by the way, that's the inner circle, James, Peter, James, and John, okay? That James, okay? Uh, the one that got to go up to uh, the transfiguration. Anyway, um, the early church goes to prayer, it seems. James one, one of the top three has been arrested. We need to pray. Okay. Well, they're praying. And then this guy named Herod, uh, he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. So the implication is the church is praying, but Herod goes right ahead and takes his head off. And he got such good ratings amongst the Jews, he seized Peter. Well, if, if they liked it when I seized number three, the Jews are really going to like it if I, if I go and seize number one, Peter, the leader. 
So uh, Peter is arrested. Um, in verse 6 of chapter 12, he's sleeping between two guards. And then an angel sent from the Lord comes in, chains fall off, Peter's ushered out of prison, and now he's safe. And it's kind of funny because he goes to where the church is praying and he knocks on the door and he says, hey, it's me, it's Peter, and they don't even believe it's Peter. They didn't even believe that God answered what they were praying for. It's kind of, it's a little bit comical. You can read that later. But here's my question. The church is praying for James, and the result is James gets promoted to go be with his Lord and Savior. And they're praying for Peter, and the result is Peter is freed and continues to live, and he leads the early church and preaches powerfully. So which of those two prayers is powerful and effective? I would argue that their prayer for James and the prayer for Peter were both powerful and effective, even though they were answered very differently. And, and see, that's what we need to realize. We pray, we can ask what we'd like to see the Lord do, but Lord, not my will, but thine, because I'm in right relationship with you, and you're God, and I'm puny, and you know everything, and I don't really know very much, so Lord, I trust you. And he works powerfully and releases Peter and he works powerfully and effectively and says, Hey, James, why don't you come and be with me? Come, come, come join me. Here's what I believe all these different passages are saying. When we're in right relationship with Jesus, when we're a follower of Jesus, we're fessed up, we're clean, we've invited him to be king, you take charge, you drive, filled with your spirit, we need to remain open to the fact that the Lord may decide to work powerfully and effectively in a manner that's different than I asked for, that's different than I could even imagine. Oftentimes, what we think the Lord should do and will do, how he responds is much different. And I'm just saying, that's still powerful and effective. It's just different than what we thought, what we asked for. I share this in closing. I got her permission to share this true story. My daughter Brittany has always, from she was little, wanted to be a nurse. She took classes in high school, medoc classes. She took college classes her senior year, freshman, sophomore year at Nuckmuck. She's working at getting admitted to the nursing program at Nuckmuck. That was her desire. That was her prayer. So Denise and I are joining her. Lord, please let that work out. She took all of her preliminary classes, uh, talked to the nursing heads. Yep, your, your classes, your grades have a special test, did really well on the test, met with the heads of the program. You're all set, Brittany. You, uh, you are going to be admitted. Should be no issue. Just wait for your letter in the mail. Um, while she's waiting for the letter to be accepted, she accompanies the Walloon Lake Church teens, Pastor Brandt, uh, I think it was with Pastor Jason, down to Detroit 
to the palace in Auburn Hills. There was an Acquire the Fire event, and uh, while they're there, there's this breakout session, and Brittany's uh, one of the chaperones, and she goes with some of the students to this breakout session, and they want to tell them about this place called the Honor Academy. It's a one-year intensive Bible program to help young people get a solid biblical foundation to begin their adult lives. Uh, at the conclusion, they said, this is a one-time offer, normally 100 bucks to apply to the Honor Academy, but if you apply today, we will waive the application fee. And Brittany said, I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm already going to be accepted at Nuckmuck, but it's free. Why not apply? You know, it's free. Uh, so, hey, Lord, I'll apply. Um, and if for some reason I don't get in, okay, I, I consider this, and I'll go to this place in Garden Valley, Texas. Fast forward a couple weeks back home, the acceptance letter from the nursing program doesn't arrive. Uh, when they said it would, Brittany calls and calls, no answer, nobody is able to answer what's going on. Finally, she gets a hold of somebody and they said, you know what, we're going to look into it, we'll get back to you. Brittany goes in, talks to this person in the nursing department, and the conversation begins with an apology. You know that's never a good sign when somebody starts a conversation with an apology. We are really sorry, Brittany. There's been a change of leadership in the nursing program here. Um, and as we've looked, we see your file now. We see that you had the grades, you had the test scores, you, you should have been admitted into the nursing program, but we misplaced your file, and we're not sure how exactly that happened. Uh, and now we've already accepted a full class. The letters are already out. We already have a waiting list and please accept our apology, but you're going to have to wait a year before we can admit you. We're so sorry. There's nothing more we can do. And when this father heard that, quickly runs through my brain, I know some lawyers. I won't lie to you. I know lawyers. I know attorneys. Same week, same week this conversation takes place, acceptance letter from Texas arrives. You are accepted, Brittany Ellis, to the Honor Academy. So Brittany comes in now, um, and I don't think we even knew about her applying to this place, but she explains what's going on, and she says, what should I do? What should I say? <laughs> I, I told the Lord, if I don't go to nursing, I'll go to Texas to Bible school, but I don't know that I want to go there. What should I do? And Denise and I both looked at her and said, I think you know the answer, don't you? Yeah. Clearly not the answer she expected. Here's, here's my question. Was that answer powerful and effective? According to Brittany, that was the best year of growth and learning and stretching in her life. It was so good she stayed on a second year as one of the leaders there at the Honor Academy. Oh, and by the way, this is a little extra piece, the Lord had her husband, John, waiting for her in Texas at the Honor Academy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And last December, just finished the nursing program at Liberty University in Lynchburg. Just want you to know, we're praying, and we're sincere, and we're right with the Lord, 
And, and I just want you to know, and the Lord responds, we need to understand that often the Lord works powerfully and effectively, but in a way that we never asked about. <laughs> in a way that wasn't even, wasn't even in our mind. It was beyond what we could even imagine. And yet the Lord, you, what, what are you doing here? And that's where the faith part comes in, right? Lord, I believe you're going to work powerfully and effectively here. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't particularly like it. But I trust you. Just bow your heads. Shut your eyes. Because I suspect there's some of you here today, and the truth is, um, there's things going on around you, and you've been fervently seeking, knocking, and asking about something that in your mind, it's pretty big going on around you. Any of you? Would you just say, yep, that's me. There's stuff I've been talking to the Lord about, crying, asking, seeking, knocking. It's it's big. Here's my question, those of you who lifted up your hand, or maybe you should have and you didn't. Are you open to the Lord answering in a powerful and effective way that's different than what you're hoping for or expecting? Are are you open to the Lord uh, being God and doing something that's unexpected and unplanned and answering in a way that still will be powerful and effective? But it's certainly not the way you're praying right now. Can I suggest to you that that's that's faith, that's trust. That's where the power and the effectiveness begins. Thank you, Lord, for your book. It's alive and real and blunt, and it talks to us in places where we're at. Thank you for your instruction on prayer. Thank you for the example of Elijah and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Thank you for your son's example in the garden. Thank you for the example of Stephen and what you did in James and Peter's life, what you do in our everyday lives. Lord, we want you to know that you're God and we're not. And we're open to you answering differently than we plan or expect. We'd say today, Lord, work powerfully and effectively in the lives of your church family here at Walloon. Work powerfully and effectively in the situations that we're facing. Give us the faith and the courage to trust you, no matter how you answer no matter how you answer. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.